Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. We are in the Wisdom Book series, and this morning, today, I want to talk to you about how to affair-proof your marriage, how to affair-proof a marriage, uh, and we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to read pretty much the whole chapter, so it's a lot of scripture, uh, but this is actually Solomon's talk to his son in regards to this subject, so if you have your Bibles, Bible apps, it'll be on the screen as well. Proverbs chapter five this is the NIV version. It says this, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is a bitter gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to, the, to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to the path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to the one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructor. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. So for a lot of you, uh, this talk can be a great prep course for when you're gonna get married. And we got a few folks in here. We got some young people. I, I know every young person in here, you're hoping that you can have at least one good year of marriage before Jesus comes back, right? Like, like if you're not married yet, it's like, I mean, it's not looking good. Like the end times are around the corner, but you're hoping like one good year of marriage before Jesus comes back. But some of you, I think this is gonna save your marriage right now. And God brought you here for this moment. And I know it because I can feel it in the spiritual realm. There's this resistance because of it. But for all of us, we're going to take this, this chapter in context, and, and I think it can be something that you can use as a guide to help your kids and grandkids as well. And I, I promise to be honest 
and as raw as the Bible is. I, I will not go beyond that um, because, as you know, I'm pretty classy. Uh, but, but, but this is for all ears, every person that's in here. So let's be honest. The world is explicit and super clear and repetitive about what it thinks about sex. And the church, in many ways, has dropped the ball on this. It's either been like overkill or mute or unclear. Like churches, you've either been like a Pharisee, religious and rigid and judgmental, or it's like they're putting a bed on top of the church and turning it into a reality TV show, or never talking about it at all. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in the land of extremes. I don't want to have shock theology, but I do think let's just understand the word, let's commit to it, and let's let the Holy Spirit help us walk it out. Think about how far we've come. Y'all remember growing up in church? How many of y'all remember preachers at your churches growing up saying the word sex in church service? Anybody in the house? Like I remember, like I remember a pastor, but this is how it went. Y'all know the snares of S-E-X. Like they wouldn't even, they wouldn't say it. They'd have to spell it. And now, a lot of churches and pastors won't even define it because they're afraid how it might come across, how they might offend somebody. So I think it's interesting that God defines sex very clearly in the word. And I think it's important for us to look at that because as a culture, we are so far off from God's masterful design. And this is exactly what the enemy wants. This is exactly what Satan planned. So I wanna lay out how God defines sex and then you can compare it to culture today. A man and a woman will commit their lives to each other. And they will never not once have sex before they are married. And then after they are married, they will never not once have sex or have sexual fulfillment from any other person until they die. For some reason, I didn't get a lot of amens in the room today. I think it's important for us to be honest. That's the word of God. Look, I'm sorry if that offends you. It's not my fault. This is God's word. It is. So Solomon, he's pretty passionate about this subject. He spends a whole chapter talking about adultery. He makes many comments throughout the wisdom books of literature in the Bible. It's interesting, though. This is what's so interesting. Solomon is the result of an affair. Isn't that interesting? So he understands the pain. He understands the sorrow. Sexual sin plagued his family. And I think it's really important. Listen to me. You've got to get this right now. What matters is now. That's got to be your approach. 
No matter what you did in high school, what you did in college, what mistakes know about you now, whatever it is, those things don't disqualify you if you're walking out repentance. It actually qualifies you. Look at Solomon. It's been said this way. It takes people with scars to preach about a Jesus with scars to people far from God with scars. And so if you have had this in your past and you are repented and you have asked God to forgive you and you are walking out healing, we need you because there are a lot of people that are gonna need the power of your testimony to speak grace and love and power into their life now. But don't look in the rearview mirror. That's a terrible place to live. We can walk forward. Grab the moral authority in your redeemed life now and speak it with passion. So what I'm gonna talk about today is not all the Bible has to say about this, but I think it's a great way to start an ongoing conversation. First of all, I wanna talk about some of the elements that starts this. First of all, sexual sin is a process. I've never really heard of anybody who they were doing good, walking with the Lord. One day they just woke up and thought, man, I just really want to destroy my life today. And so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go and sleep with whoever will sleep with me. Like it, it didn't start that way. It's a process. It's a process. Typically it's this, words, thoughts, desire, action. So let's talk about the first one, words. In, chapter, or in verse three, it says this, for the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is a bitter gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to, the, to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought of her way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. She's deceived too. So no, notice what Solomon is saying. Basically, affairs, and many other sins, they start with words. This is the true start of the battleground. This is what happened in the garden. Remember, the original sin, it started with words. This is true in the wilderness with Jesus and Satan and how Satan was trying to tempt Jesus, but also how Jesus combated that temptation. The battleground is with the words. And this is usually a conversation that is out of bounds. Look, the, the truth is you probably use words to get the person you have right now, right? Like I, I would guess it wasn't just like a bunch of silence. Like you probably said something. You probably wrote something. Maybe you wrote some poetry. I don't want to hear it either. But look, I know I, I, I did all this. I did all this. I, I, I wrote in Cody's journal I know, right? Before we got married, we weren't, we weren't dating, and we were in Bible school, and both of us had committed not to date for a year, but I started having feelings for Cody, but I didn't want to distract her. I didn't want to become a stumbling block, so I did one of the cheesiest things ever. I got a recorder, and every time I had a thought about Cody, I'd record it, and I'd do it in my deepest Barry White voice I possibly could. Hey, baby, one day you're going to listen to these words. You don't know it yet, but I'm the man of your dreams.
starts with words. But let's look at an unhealthy example. You got Tiffany and Bobby, and they both work together in an office. They've been working there a little over a year together. Uh, Both are married. Both of them attend church some. They both have two kids. One has a cat. I don't understand why. The other has an indoor dog that they promise won't bite. Tiffany has had a hard day. And Tiffany's over at the copier trying to finish up a project, and the copier's not working, and she is crying, upset, frustrated. Bobby sees her, walks over and says, hey, I got this. I'll take care of this. Don't worry. You just need to take a, take a break. You're way too stressed. Let me take care of this for you. Everything's going to be okay. And then Tiffany says, man, with everything going on at home and my boss breathing down my neck, oh, thank you. You know, Bobby, the world needs more men like you. Bobby says, amen. So Tiffany feels noticed and helped. And Bobby, for the first time ever, he feels like a hero, a healer, which is actually one of the things God created him to be. But then this emotional bond begins to happen, which turns into more praise from Tiffany and more comforting from Bobby. And then it begins to switch into flirtation. And then this warfare in the mind begins. But then it goes from words to some sort of physical touch. In verse 7, it says this. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Because once you get to a place where you're starting to hang out, you're lingering around a person a lot longer, riding places together. This gravitational pull towards sexual sin is almost unbearable. I have seen it get to the point where it seems like even the audible voice of God could not stop the progression from happening. Look at the strong language though of Solomon. What is he saying? You gotta keep your distance. Like, you gotta be vigilant. I think it's the best way to look at it. Godly men and women treat each other like brothers and sisters in Christ. Your conversation, your interaction. Some of you are like, I don't have a sister. Okay, then it's God's daughter. And nothing else. I have daughters. I also have a lot of guns and ammunition. So some practical applications, how we're careful about this around here. This is a relational church. I love people. I love being around people, but I'm careful. I am careful about my interaction. Like side hugs. This is like the Christian side hug. Y'all, y'all been around church, you've probably seen this. Somebody comes up for a hug, like somebody may even come up for like full frontal hug, but I'm gonna be like, just going, just go, let's just keep it on the side. If I can't get away from the full frontal, I am kicking in the A-frame. Whoop! 
It's going to look like a really awkward middle school dance. Because I want to be above reproach. Because I know where my heart is. I don't know where every other person's heart is. So I'm not just guarding me, I'm guarding them too. You can address the potential electricity by keeping your distance away from what's gonna shock you. But there's consequences of adultery and I wanna talk about those next. Verse nine, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to the one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline. How my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers and turn my ear to my instructor. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. So there's this uh, countdown video. We have a new version of it, but the countdown vision we were showing, uh, video we were showing for a while, it had this shot in it. If you got that, Adam. Shot of a, a, a river. Yes, no, maybe. Maybe not. Okay, there it is. Okay, y'all remember that shot? You know what that is? That is the Arkansas River in Colorado, okay? And, and so it runs down through this canyon. But the reason why I'm showing you that is because I almost died right on that stretch of river about 20 years ago, okay? Here's a story. Got this friend of mine. Uh, he had been taking some classes for river guide certification. So he got his class three. Okay, rapids go up to a class five. He got his class three certification. He's like, James, we got to go raft to Arkansas. I'm like, like with like a company? He's like, no, me and you. I'm like, just the two of us? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, what's the plan? He's like, well, it's cool, man. I found this little raft at a garage sale. Like, I should have just cut it off right at that point, right? Like, yeah, that sounds shady. And, and he's like, but man, we'll, we'll air it up and we'll, we'll take it up there and, and we'll put in and we'll, we'll float a couple miles and then we'll hitchhike back and, and get the car and then come pick up the raft. And I was like, I'm like, are you sure, bro? He's like, yeah, man, we got this. Okay, so we get up to the spot where we're gonna push in, but we went by this little shop first where they do like guided tours and stuff. And we go in and, uh, and he was like asking the people there like what the conditions of the river and stuff are. And the guy at the counter was like, the river is running bigger than it has in 15 years. And then they went through all these numbers of everything, like how many gallons per square inch this thing is running and all this stuff. And there was a lot of big, big numbers. And so this guy assumes as he's telling my friend this, that we were gonna cancel the float. No. So as soon as he's done telling my friend all this, he's like, I think we can still do it. And I'm like, ah, I, don't, I don't think this is a good idea. He's like, oh, come on, man. And we were always doing stupid stuff like this. Like, I should have known better. But so here's the deal. We get in this little 10-foot raft which is not self-bailing, okay? Most of the rafts have this ability to let water out underneath as you go down the river, naturally. This one didn't have that feature. We had a five-gallon bucket. So we, we put into the river and we are, huh. 
It was the scariest thing I have ever been a part of in my life. And honestly, I was doing okay until I heard him scream <laughs> like a five-year-old girl as he's telling me I have to row harder. <laughs> then I was scared. <laughs> so we only went maybe a mile and a half, maybe, and we got out. Got out, we went right past this little point. I think it's called the devil's backbone or something like that. Like it's, even the names will kill you. Like it's not, and, and, uh, but it's where a lot of the professional photographers and stuff take pictures of the guided tours coming down the river. So we get out and we're walking past them. They're like, are you guys idiots? We're like, probably, you know, like, and, and they're like, do you understand they closed the river, right? We're like, well, must've been after we got on the river. Like, they're like, yeah, we've watched six guided boats flip over today. People have gone to the hospital. And uh, we were packing up and we saw you guys down the river and we thought we'd get pictures of you guys dying. And, uh, and so, so anyway, there will be times in your life and you think, man, this is gonna be the ride of my life. This is gonna be so much fun. And there will be indicators. There will be people. There will be the Holy Spirit. There will be saying, it's a bad idea. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't do it. And, you, and that the ride of your life, all of a sudden, it, it'll kill you. It'll destroy your life. Before you know it, you will be off track. You will lose your direction. Life gets off track in a hurry when you go off road when it comes to sex. You'll end up the dead end on the backside of nowhere. The Bible is saying you've got to stay on the road that is away from the path that leads to destruction. You also lose your influence. This is huge. Immediately after, you will lose moral authority, and then you will feel marked as weak and dirty, and there will be shame and guilt there. And your name will suffer harm for years. It'll carry no weight. I have talked with people that will say, man, I still cry. 15 years later, I still cry about the people that I've hurt. My kids, it's not like there's shame there. They love me, but they don't really respect me. I can't lead them anymore. There was a pastor who shaped a lot of my understanding and experience about a life-giving church and, and spoke a lot into my calling and he built this huge, powerful church. But about 14 years ago, a lot of allegations, sexual sin and abuse and things like that, it turned out to be true. Lost all of his influence. I, I'm, I'll tell you, I don't call him for wisdom. I don't call him. And he used to be one of the people I like, man, if he says it, then it's from God. You will lose time. You can just add on the end of this one, you're gonna lose money too. 25% of the families that end in divorce because of affairs, they are completely financially ruined. Uh, the, the word actually says you're, you're gonna wind up, other people are gonna wind up living on what you make. Okay, well, I've seen quite a few situations where this happens. 
So, so you lose that, but you lose time. You're wasting time, and unfortunately, it's the kids that are gonna suffer the most. And it's usually in a season where they need you the most. But here's what's driving this. It's this common mindset. The biggest commitment is to their own personal happiness because they've been drinking the words of honey. And they will say this, I have heard this dozens of times, don't I deserve to be happy? Well, that's a whole other sermon, but this is what I know for sure. You will never find happiness focused on yourself, ever. You never find happiness focused on yourself. And you will live with regret. There's a lot of pain inflicted, a lot of loss incurred. Fact is, no one gets away with adultery. No one. Everyone gets caught either on this side or the other side of eternity. Everyone. What's hard is when they find out sometimes about an affair after someone dies and dealing with that sin without a conversation. The bitterness is terrible. I've seen it. So a couple principles of how to adultery proof your marriage. Speak scripture. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge, okay? Because when these temptations are coming in at you, you're gonna need something that'll preserve the knowledge of who you are in Christ Jesus. How do your lips preserve knowledge? You memorize scripture, you speak it. This has to become a practical tool in your life. This is how Jesus fought temptation and won. When lustful thoughts come into your mind, you've gotta speak the word. Look, your thoughts are no match for Satan's thoughts, but Satan's thoughts are no match to the thoughts of God. Proverbs 23, seven, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So how much of this is in your heart so that when things come at you that are not how God sees you, what he says about you, how much of this are you gonna have to preserve the knowledge of that? And even if some of you are like, I can't memorize scripture. Well, you can read it. And you can just keep a couple on hand. You can put them up in your mirror in the morning for when you're getting ready, put it in your car. You put some scripture around you that when you start having those thoughts and those feelings, those emotions coming at you, that you're gonna stand on the word. You're gonna declare the truth of God's word. I would say you've got to stop treating the word of God like the queen of England. What do I mean by that? Well, the queen has a ton of admirers and people who like to take pictures with her, but she has no authority to make any decisions. And some of you have made the word of God like the queen of England, like you admire it, but you have taken all authority away from it because you refuse to apply it in your life. Use it for the tool that God has given it to be in your life. You also gotta commit to intimacy. Commit to intimacy. This is where it gets juicy. Drink water from your own sister. We told you, we got children's ministry. We just told you, we told you that, okay? So you, the, the awkward conversations, they're on you. Uh, drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone. 
never to be shared with strangers. May, the fount, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Look, they never read that in church when I was growing up like that. I, 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 would, I would guess if, if they read that more in church, there'd be more people wanting to get married the way God would want them to get married. Take intimacy and commit to it. I think it's important that you talk about your needs and you make a strategy around those needs. That doesn't happen enough. That's God's design. Talk about it. Be intoxicated. Man, that is strong. Like in the place where you say, our marriage is so passionate, I get dizzy sometimes. Here's what I would say. You, look, you should send or get a text from time to time from your spouse that you can't read out loud. That's how passionate you are. The problem that I have seen is a lot of people just quit trying. And the reason why they quit trying is because they make it about them. And I'll promise you, if you want to get passion in a relationship, make it about serving the other person. If you make it about serving the other person, I promise you, you will be fulfilled too. But anytime you do something out of this overflow of thankfulness and gratefulness for what God has given you, you make others more important than yourself, whether it's about this subject or any other subject, you're gonna find fulfillment every time, I promise. A man once said, me and my wife have a great marriage we were intimate almost every day. Almost on Monday, almost on Tuesday, almost on Wednesday, almost on Thursday, almost on Friday, almost on. Hate it for him. At some point, listen, at some point, if your marriage is a desert in this area, Satan is going to build a playground on that sand. So this is what I encourage you to have, and I'm not gonna go any further than this. I told you I was gonna keep it classy. When it comes to intimacy in your life, you need to have snacks, dinners, and banquets. Y'all figure out what those are. <laughs> the last thing is this, and maybe one of the more important because I know some of you have been sitting here thinking and allowing the enemy to whisper in your ears about mistakes. From your past, I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit convicting about what you might be doing right now. No, from your past. You gotta rely on, rely on the grace of God. That's, that's for your past and that's for your present and that's for your future. Part of the fear of the Lord is understanding that there is never a time when you should be overconfident in your own ability to overcome something. Because under the wrong set of circumstances, I and any of us are capable of any sin. That's a fact. The enemy is opportunistic. He is looking for ways to trip us up. We need the grace of God. Grace to forgive ourselves and forgive others for the past. Certainly grace to give me power for today and grace to give me wisdom for tomorrow. Conviction. And so I just... I just wanna make sure that every person in here understands that this is not about shame and guilt and condemnation and, and, and living in the past and living in the guilt and shame of that. 
I will say, if you have not responded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, today is the day of salvation. Today, stop, turn, walk away. God can heal you and forgive you. It doesn't matter how messed up it feels like it is. I'm not saying there aren't consequences. There may be, and they're tough. But I promise you this, you would rather walk through the natural consequences of the mistakes that you've made than to suffer no peace and joy in the supernatural for the rest of your life. It's not worth it. And God wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Look, there's full conferences to talk about this subject. And like I said, I don't think we hit everything today, but I do know this. I do know that with what we have talked about, it gets the conversation started. It gives the opportunity for people to respond. And so uh, it, maybe that's something that you need to confess. I don't know, but you can do that. You can do it right now, right before the Lord. And then you've got to move. You, you can't just talk about it and not make the steps. And some of you, you're walking down this path and it, it's not with someone else right now, but it's in your thought life. It's in the things that you look at and watch when no one else is around. It's, but I promise you, sin is progressive. Sin is progressive. So do what you need to do to get right in those areas. But I want every person to be able to walk in this grace. Grace is what empowers us to move on. And some of you, you don't have any concept of that grace and that may be because you don't have any real concept of a real relationship with the Lord. You're away from Him. You're lost without Him. You know, I, heaven and hell are real. Eternity is real. And, and this, this last week, it was just a stark reminder of that because we have a member of our church family that passed away just a couple nights ago, unexpected, was in a car wreck. I'm really thankful for a couple of things. I'm really thankful that we did everything we could as a church family to love, to care about them, to speak love and, and life and truth into them. And I'm so thankful that they surrendered their life to Jesus because no one knows what tomorrow holds. If you're here today and you don't have any peace about your relationship with the Lord and you know you need a relationship with Him, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to Him right now. If you don't have any confidence about your eternity, any confidence about how God sees you, how much he loves you. And you know you, you need him. I'd love to include you in this prayer. I'm just gonna ask you, if that's you, go ahead and put your hand up right now. I'm not gonna point you out. I just wanna give you a chance to confess it before me and before God. Like, I need Jesus, I'm away from him. Any person in this room, got you. Thank you, brother. As soon as I see your hand, you don't have to keep it up. I, I just wanna know who I'm praying with and for. Anybody else? Father God, I thank you for salvation. Right there in your chair, 
you can just talk to him. I would encourage you, you need to go public with this decision. You need to be bold about it. I would tell somebody as soon as the service is over, I, I would definitely encourage you to get water baptized as soon as you can. But right there, let's just talk to him and say this. God, here's my life. I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I ask for your forgiveness for my sin. I thank you that Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose from the grave. And when he rose from the grave, he defeated my sin and he defeated death. So because of that, I have the hope of, of heaven, but I also have a purpose that I can now live in you. So God, would you reveal that purpose to me so that I can walk it out for the rest of my life, being completely and totally surrendered to your plan and purpose. Be my Lord. Be my Lord. I repent. I turn to you. Be my Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me.